Welcome to this podcast that is all about funding. From grants to crowdfunding, we will be talking with nonprofits, foundation representatives, federal consultants, passionate community members, and so forth from every angle of the funding community to see how they can get funded, what their challenges are, and what questions they have on securing funding. I will be answering questions and providing tips and advice on how to best move forward in securing funding for your nonprofit, research, or business. My name is Holly Rustic, and I am creator of WeGo Consulting, that's writing, editing, grants, and organizational development. You can find me at www.wegogrants.com or www.hollyrustic.com, where you can also sign up and get free grant templates and get access to grant writing books and courses. As a grant writer for more than a decade, having managed grants for various organizations around the world, securing millions and millions of dollars for organizations, and being a federal reviewer, I have seen every side of the coin for funding. I'm excited to share information and try my best to answer any questions so you can increase your funding and organization to impact your community and the world at large. So let's get started because money can be groovy. Welcome to part five. We finally made it to the end of our uh, series, How to Write a Winning Grant. So the five steps. And we are at step five, project design. So today we are going to go over how to list out the activities for the project, the selection process, where the project will take place, challenges, contingencies, and the sustainability plan, how to list non-federal partners and resources, how to list leverage resources, and what you need in place to oversee and monitor non-federal resources and partners. This is where a lot of people start writing, but as you should be able to tell by now, if you start writing here, you may rewrite this several times. Why? Well, if you do not understand your true problem, have an overarching goal, create clear objectives and outcomes, and know what your budget can cover, then yeah, you might just be uh, rewriting and rewriting and rewriting. This can turn into crazy process, all right? So what you wanna have in place is everything we've already talked about. So in, if you have followed the podcast in the series, you have already done the following. Have all information about the organization in one neat place, completed research and have backed up needs with current references and identified a target population, identified a goal, developed smart objectives, specific outcomes, and a task timeline, and finalized a budget to include identifying resources for any matching funds required. What are detailed descriptions of activities? Well, remember we talked about that action plan timeline and uh, that was podcast that was the number three of the, the series, uh, goals, objectives, and outcomes. So we actually talked about listing a timeline, which basically includes each activity. So each key activity you're going to do, and then you're gonna list who's going to do it and the dates, all right? So you wanna have that kind of side-by-side -side as you're writing your project design. That can actually kind of be your framework to what you, you list and you expand upon. But of course, make sure you're looking at the criteria and the funding opportunity announcement or the request for proposal to make sure you're covering exactly what they are, uh, what the funding agency or organization is actually asking for. Now, we are going to be using the same example that we've used through this whole series, and that is a nonprofit organization called Youth Soccer Rocks. And they're based in Rock and Sox City, and they have a they have this project that they want to write. They're writing this grant so they can get a hundred uh, disadvantaged youth engaged in their youth soccer clinics and they can get uniforms for those youth, they can take them to away games, they have nutrition classes, they have all this stuff to kind of benefit these youth. So we're gonna keep that same 
example throughout this whole thing. So we're going to be talking about that today. So an example for this section for you soccer rocks could be uh, the kickoff meeting will include the executive director and board of directors. And we'll look over all objectives, goals, and activities. We'll immediately start on grant implementation. So this is where you can clearly state each activity that is required for implementation of the project. Make this clear and create a logistical flow to it. Think back again to the podcast where we talked about the mindset behind grants and pretend you are that 15-year-old who is making a case to your parents to give you money for a soccer uniform and membership dues. Make this simple. Make it clear to read, all right, guys? I create a point-by-point -point basis for what you are going to do, how you are going to do it, who will implement it, when it will get done, and make sure that you put into place any safeguards against what might happen. You basically want to answer any and all questions before they are even asked, all right? So one area that you may want to look at is how you will select the beneficiaries or who will benefit from your grant program. For example, it may be indicated that you will serve 100 of these youth for your project, but how will you recruit and select these youth? For you soccer rocks, they will have partners with they will partner with schools they have identified with the letters of commitment and will attend assemblies and talk about the project. They could possibly have sign-up sheets or applications at the end of the school assemblies available and maybe leave some with some of the sport coaches. There are so many different ways that you can recruit your targeted beneficiaries, so figure out what makes the most sense for your project. How are you going to reach them? And then how are you actually going to select them? Then, of course, you know you need to talk about the selection process. One idea is that you soccer rocks will utilize applications with the highest poverty threshold um, to be prioritized. So basically, they're looking at the youth who are, who are in the most poverty. And that could be a way, you know, how to indicate that. Well, one way to indicate that could even be do their parents and, you know, their families receive food stamps? Are they on any kind of programs? Those kind of things. Um, it also could be maybe single parent household. Do you have both a mom and dad at home or whatnot? And these kind of things. There could be definitely ways to get that information. So as long as you prioritize um, that selection process, so you're very clear and then it's not biased, it's already objective, it's already in place. Uh, and then that way, if you get more than 100 applications, um, and say that you'll serve 100 people, you may have to, you will have to identify how you're going to select those participants. This may be limited to the 100 people if you're also budgeting for 100 uniforms or transportation that will only accommodate up to 100 people. So sometimes it's, not, it's, it's fine to surpass the number that you indicate you will serve and, you know, and it could actually be a good thing because you're serving more than you said you're going to, but you have to remember what's in your budget, what's in your capacity. So if you identify in your budget those other limitations, then you need to put into place a selection process to meet this potential challenge. Um, you know, are you going to be able to get more money from other people or, you know, is it going to be a one-to-one -one match? Those kind of things. So, but we're going to get more into challenges and contingencies in a minute. But this gives you an idea how a grant really is a big puzzle and certain parts do overlap. All right, so the next thing, where will your project take place? This may seem silly and basic, but even, I mean, when reviewers are reviewing your, uh, reading your grant, they may not have a clear idea about your community. Now, foundations in your community who are reviewing your grant applications, they may know you and they may understand that, but still, because it's a project and it's not your program, you know, you may be doing this off-site, you may be doing this in other locations, or even if they know where you're located, you kind of want to describe exactly what's happening. 
So, for example, youth soccer rocks activities will occur at the clubhouse soccer pitch and classes will be held at Rocking Sox High School. Our main headquarters will be at the youth soccer rocks suite where we have one office of 200 square feet. Do you see how specific this is? Once again, the magic puzzle. If you say you will have an office of 200 square feet, then make sure that is in your budget. So either your budget is paying for that, that uh, rent or in this, um, in this case, this could be an in-kind amount and that the company is supplying the space at no cost. Remember, this doesn't mean you don't include this explanation. Clearly say how the square footage is accounted for. And remember to include a letter if this is an in-kind support. All right, so moving on. Challenges, contingency, sustainability. All right, these are all important to identify in your project design. Challenges are what could go wrong. Contingencies are what will be be put into place to mitigate challenges, and sustainability plans are how the project can be maintained after the grant has ended. These components are important to look at because you will face challenges when administering a grant. Things will come up, all right? And sometimes you can be ahead of the curve by identifying some potential issues and outlining a plan to address such issues. Businesses do this with business plans, but somehow the world of nonprofits oversees this important process. The reality is that things do happen, so you need to be prepared to work through hiccups and bumps or derailments to implement someone else's money, all right? Remember that you are implementing somebody else's money, so you need to be as clear as possible if something's going to come up, which will, what it, will it be, <laughs> how are you going to manage it, and how are you actually going to sustain the program? All right, so let's face it, money's going to end. Grants are like, a, they're just pretty much like startup capital or seed money. Once the grant is over, the funding source wants to know that the project will still operate at some level. All right, it might not have to be the same level, but it has to operate at some level. So flashback to your goal. What change are you going to make in your community? This will be a lasting change and positively impact your community. If the grant project just fades out as soon as the money is gone, then what real impact have you had on the community? This is another reason why so many grants require matching non-federal funds. They want to know that the community is actually supporting the project. So remember again, challenges, what could go wrong? Contingency, what will you put into place to mitigate those challenges? Sustainability plans, how can the project keep going when the grant has ended? So what are your potential challenges? Now let's take our example. Maybe instead of saying, I mean, we talked about more than 100 youth will show up, maybe a challenge is actually not enough youth, youth will sign up for the Youth Soccer Rocks Club. So that could be a, ch a challenge that they identify, not enough youth will sign up. What are the contingencies in place? Well, they will work with their partners to increase referrals and increase visits to more schools. They are confident with the incentives of scholarships, trips away from home to games, free uniforms, health checks, and the nutrition program that they will actually attract more than 100 disadvantaged youth. But just in case, they're also going to put out there, they're going to work with their partners to increase referrals and increase visits to school. So what is their sustainability plan? How are they going to keep it going? So they identify you soccer rocks as we'll leverage business partners, rotary clubs, and other partners with continued sponsorship of scholarships. So basically they want to partner with the corporates and other places and organizations to, um, you know, do like a, an amount per head. So at that point they might say each person we serve, we're asking for X amount of dollars and we're going to serve a hundred kids and they could break it down to say each kid, it's basically a cost per, per participant of this much. And we're going to ask, 
you know, businesses to sponsor at this amount. I mean, that would be pretty clear. Another thing they, they could say is they're going to do fundraisers, such as car washes and other events, whereby the youth will, will be the significant contributors to raise money for the second year scholarships. So the beneficiaries will kind of do like, a, you know, they're also going to come back and, and do some stuff. So that's pretty cool to have. We're going to have these people involved or the youth could even that were beneficiaries could come back as mentors. Maybe 20% of them could come back as mentors and, and help with uh, being like kind of assistant coaches or that kind of thing. I mean, that's, that's to show involvement. So it's a pretty cool way. So expand on these things. But remember, this is where you were saying that the project will not just flop once grant funding is over. So even if they don't ask for these things, I would say put them in and it doesn't have to be super vast. You know, it can just be enough to say, okay, not enough people might sign up. This is a challenge we might face, but we're going to increase our referrals and go to more schools, you know, to, and we have all these things in place. So we're really confident that we're going to get this number. It's achievable because they want to, they're also looking at funding sources. They're also saying, is this even achievable what you want to do? And you're saying, yeah, it is. And then how we're going to keep it going. We're going to, you know, partner with corporates to do a cost per head. Um, we're going to do more, you know, we're going to have the youth come back and be mentors you know, et cetera, et cetera, and kind of write that out. And you could even have commitment letters from businesses to say, yes, I will support this in the future or that sort of thing. So that would be really good. All right, so moving on to non-federal funds. This may seem like a budget section, but if non-federal funds are required as a matching for your grant, this is also shown in the project design. Of course, this also needs to be demonstrated within the budget. You will identify where your non-federal support comes from with a project design. All right, specifically, you must point out what type of non-federal support your organization has already secured, not will secure in the future. That would be a sustainability thing, which is fine, but you still need to make sure if they're asking for 20% non-federal uh, matching, you need to have it already secured. All right. So, and I just want to kind of talk about that because I touched on fundraisers. Um, you don't want to put that in your securing of non-federal part. That could be your sustainability. In the future, we're going to do fundraising. We're going to do all this other stuff. That's fine. But during the grant period, don't do that. And I've seen that done where they say, okay, we're going to get we're going to get twenty thousand in six months into the grant because that's when we usually do our annual fundraiser and we usually get twenty thousand. So we're going to put that there. The thing is, you haven't already secured that money, so you can't put it as your secured non-federal. Now, if you can use the, if you had 20000 from last year and you already have it sitting there, sure, you could absolutely use that. You can say we're going to dedicate the 20000 we raised from last year's uh, fundraiser as a, a match or a partial part of that match or whatever. That's absolutely fine. You can do that. But just remember, don't put something that hasn't actually been secured yet in your secured non-federal matching. Okay. That was a quick sign out. But anyways, <laughs> back to this. All right. So a reminder is that the non-federal funds must be from non-federal resources and they may be hard or a soft match. So once again, you do have to look at your funding opportunity announcement or request for proposal that outlines if you can use um, volunteer time space, like if somebody's providing that leasing space for you and you're not having to pay for it. Um, or if it has to be cash, the hard match. Okay. So you go back to that and make sure that you've know what can be used as a match or you even need a match. If there is no requirement for non-federal match, I would only include any kind of support as leveraging. And although the difference sounds only semantic, there is a difference in the level of support. All right, so leveraging, like, leveraging could even be federal. So for instance, if you have that 200 square foot um, office space that they're gonna use is a federal match, 
or it wouldn't be a match. It would actually be leverage because you can't use federal to match federal. That's why they call it non-federal match. See, I know this gets all crazy, but you just want to make sure if you're having any kind of, you might have a contract from the federal government. You can't use that as a match to your other grant that says non-federal match. You have to make sure that it's non-federal. But, and you, you could use it as leveraging though, if it's still going towards your program, you're saying, okay, we're just going to leverage, you know, that partnership, but that's okay. But you can't use it as non-federal match. And the other thing is, if the grant only requires a 10% non-federal match or a 20% or whatever, don't state that you're going to match 50% and that, that sounds good because it looks like added support. You can maybe go at 5%, but I wouldn't say go a lot over because it, it's actually the flip side of that, okay? Because um, as reviewers look at that, they want to give money to people who need it, right? And if you come in and you say, and this actually happened really um, when I was doing a review, is basically an applicant said they had a 100% match of non-federal funds. And what that kind of made us all kind of look back and say was, do they even need this money? You know, it wasn't, it just wasn't, there wasn't a big need for it then. So it was kind of interesting. And the other thing to that is if they did say, yeah, we're going to 100% match this, even though um, that grant may only say a 10% non-federal is required, they are still, they still have to commit that whole, whatever they said they're going to match. And that's a lot, I mean, that can add up to a lot of money if you're asking for, you know, millions of dollars for these grants, and then you say you're going to match it 100%, and then you're going to have to actually adhere to what you said. So, and if it's not needed, there's no point to that. So I hope that makes sense. Um, only put the match that's required the same percentage, okay? Don't put more than that, maybe just a little bit of a buffer, but don't put a lot more. Uh, it just won't really get you those brownie points. All right, so now, who are some of your non-federal resources? And that can be in-kind volunteers, venue space like we talked about, vehicles even, other non-federal grants, and so on. So, for our example, Youth Soccer Rocks will have the in-kind support of Rock and Socks High School for a space to teach our nutrition classes valued at $150 per class for 10 classes per year with a total value of $1,500. See attached letter of commitment. There are... These are state non-federal monies. All right, do you see how clear this was? Now, once again, going back, they refer out. Look to the, if you have, if you're going to say, here's our non-federal match, you're describing it, make sure you go ahead and have that letter of commitment. It doesn't ha necessarily have to be an MOU or anything like super crazy. It could just be them. But in their letter of support, they would be detailing that we are you know, uh, Rock and Sox High School will contribute a class valued at $150 per class for 10 classes per year with a total value of $1,500. We support Youth Soccer Rocks, da-da-da-da-da. See what I mean? So then it's the same information in two places, um, and it really shows that support. And that's really all you need. Um, and then, of course, that's in your budget. It's outlined as well. So it all makes sense in all different places. It's all exactly the same, and it kind of uh, gives credibility to each part. Okay, and what are leveraged resources? So leverage, and like we just touched on it a little bit, these could be other federal grants. So these are the, not the non-federal, but this is the leverage. So it could be other federal grants or programs um, that cannot add a monetary value to your budget, but they can add value of support. 
So say, for example, the Usakaroks will have our headquarters at a federal building that is a leveraged space of 200 square feet at no cost. They would just go ahead and put that, but it wouldn't contribute to their non-federal amount. Okay, so um, how will you get these non-federal and leveraged sources? This is for you to really think about pre-grant. So when you go into your grant team meeting, you want to ask, how are we going to get this support? So you want to be able to say, okay, we're going to identify our partners at our next meeting. They're putting your, even line it out, task it out. The project assistant will communicate via email messages to request um, letters of support. We will obtain signed letters of commitment and support with all our monetary value listed in the letters. We will do fundraising to secure any other outstanding matching funding. This is pre-grant, remember. So this could be a plan you already have in place. If you don't have that plan in place, get it together. All right, because you want to be able to approach this and not be scrambling at the last second running around going, who can we get uh, support from? And I mean, it's just hard enough to, to get people to sign letters that just say that they support your project in general, um, rather than getting non-federal letters where it's really spelled out how much commitment they're going to support you. You really want to have that from the beginning. Okay. So, um, and then of course, how you oversee and monitor all your non-federal resources and partnerships, you want to outline that. So example, Youth Soccer Rocks will meet with our partners monthly and request reports for our meetings to outline all responsibilities. You want to make sure you have, you could have your organizational chart at that point, just to be like our executive director reports to our board of directors. They oversee the program managers, the coaches, all that kind of thing. We meet every week as a team, you know, you really want to line up all the details there. Where else would you include this information from your project design? Do you guys remember? Okay, so you would include it in your action plan timeline. And we discussed this in the podcast part three, goals, objectives, and outcomes. But grab that again when you're doing your project design, the action plan timeline. And like I said, just line it up side by side and make sure you're covering every point. If you wrote some kind of great uh, key activity in this project design, make sure you've included that in your action time um, timeline because it's important to say that this is a key activity and vice versa. If you have this great thing in your action plan timeline, make sure it's in your project design so it all lines up. Okay. All right. And remember, sometimes you have to do all of this. I know it sounds like a lot of stuff and it really is, but you have to do this in a two to four page foundation application. And other times you may have 20 plus pages to write this all in. Really the approach doesn't change. It's just the amount of detail, but the more succinct and clear you can write, the less words you need and the easier it will be for program managers to understand who, all right, so all of a sudden you get the grant awarded and you say, here, program manager, I know you had no place in writing this grant, but this is what you actually have to implement. You want to make sure when it gets done, they can say, okay, boom, I know exactly what I need to do. And the same is true for grant reviewers. You want them to get through your grants very, just know exactly what's going on, have no questions, and give you high scores, of course, and award your grant. <laughs> so there you have it. Once you have all other measures in place, get to town on writing your project approach. Make sure you leave ample time to write this section though. Even if you leave it to the last part, make sure you still have time so you can do it well. At times, some funding sources request logic models, detailed training plans, evaluation plans, and so forth, and we'll cover these in future podcasts. But today you learned how to write the project design, which includes activities, selection process, location, challenges, contingencies, and sustainability plan, non-federal partners and resources, leverage resources, and oversight and monitoring of non-federal resources and partners. On our next podcast, we'll be starting the next series on making sure your organization has the capacity to win grants. 
ah, that's going to be fun. So we'll be talking about your board, employee handbook, all your contingencies, your policies and procedures, all that kind of stuff to make sure once you get grants awarded, you can actually manage them well or vice versa. Be, to be able to get grants awarded, you need to make sure that you have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed so you're very competitive. So want some free grant uh, templates? Go ahead and go to www.wegogrants.com to join the mailing list with free templates, discounts on books, and more. Speaking of books, Wish Granted, Tips, Tools, and Templates to Write a Winning Grant is coming out on Amazon on August 22nd, 2017. So you can actually go and pre-order it today. And um, yeah, make sure you get it. And it's going to give you the whole workbook. So you have all the stuff that we've talked about in this entire series as a workbook that you can go ahead and you can start working on your master grant. So once you have everything done, when a grant pops up, boom, you are so prepared, you're ready to go, you have everything lined out, and you have a framework to follow. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.